Psalm 133. And of course, over the last month and a half, we've been looking at psalms that will cause us to sing. And we believe that the church is in a place where the world needs a singing church. There's so much negativism all around us. There's so much division all around us. There's so much heartache. And when the church sings, the gospel message is proclaimed in a way that people can look to Jesus and they can find the hope that all of us need. And so at Lyft, we are attempting to become more and more a church who sings even in the dark times and the difficult times that we do live in. And so we've been looking at these psalms that helps us to focus on a God who is present and a God who understands the very things that you and I are struggling with, a God who doesn't only understand, but a God who steps right into our lives doesn't divorce himself from our struggles, but he's in the very midst of our struggles, and he helps us to walk through it. And um, Psalm 133, I trust, will be able to help us again to be a singing church. The psalm was written by David, and it is one of the last Psalms of Ascent that we've been looking at where the Israelites were going up to Jerusalem. That's where the word Ascent comes from. And um, it's one of his last Psalms that he writes about the Ascent. And so we see that it was written by David as he stood on the balcony of his palace and watched the people crowding up the main street which went straight up past the palace and into the gate of the temple. It was one of those annual feasts when the people had come from Dan to Beersheba, from one end of the country to the other, with their different dialects, with their different dress styles, and yet they all were pressing up the street, going together to worship. And out of this context, David was inspired to read the psalm. And I must say, over the last few weeks, as Ken and I, together with our wives, have just been talking and meeting, it's been so wonderful over the last few months, and particularly over the last few weeks, just to see how God has been breaking through into so many of our lives and how hearts have been opened to God and God steps in and he's been doing amazing things within the midst of his church. And I almost feel like David standing on my little balcony in Hagendorn and just looking over what's happening and there is a great sense in which my heart sings. On just throughout the week, it's been so busy, people just coming into this building, this facility, meeting with different people, and this has truly become the type of house that God is building, a house of prayer for all nations. On Tuesday, on Wednesday, 
Literally, it's on Thursday, on Friday, we've had people in so many rooms of this facility just gathering together with people praying, asking questions about Jesus, and we can sit. And we sat with someone for an hour and a half, myself and someone else with this person, talking about the wonderful gospel of Jesus, making it clear and plain for the person to see. And while we were doing it, others were doing the very same thing within all of those. My friends, it is so encouraging just to watch and to see what God is doing. And then I can talk about so much more outside of this building that's happening through the people of Lyft, how God is breaking through within people's lives. My friend, when God breaks through within people's lives, it is not always nice and clean. It's sometimes disorderly. Sometimes the ugliness of our hearts come out and God comes and he starts to put things back together again. My friends, that's the church that Jesus Christ died for. Amen? This is the church he loves. I said to someone the other day, isn't it amazing how committed Jesus is to his bride, the church? That's to you and I. And I said, you know, we're not a very good looking bunch, are we? We have so many things that when God looks, he's, you know, we can say, God, gee, this is not right with my life. This is not, not, you know, we're not the prettiest group of people. And yet when God looks over us, he loves us because he supremely exercised his love by dying for us on the cross of Calvary. breaking open our hearts and our sins show. And he said, I take that sin upon myself. And I'm gonna let that sin that reigned within you die in me. <laughs> Isn't that a wonderful thing? When he took our sin, he took it upon himself and that living sin died within him. And then he placed within us the seed of life. And sometimes that seed of life stays in the ground for a little while. Why? Because he says that seed must die first. Underneath the ground so that the outer shell can become soft so that life can spring forth. And that is what's happened within us. He took our sin upon himself. It died within him on the cross, when he rose from the dead victoriously. New life came into us as we put our faith and our trust in him and we say, Jesus, you are Lord and Savior of my life. And that's the beautiful thing that we're seeing that's happening within our church. And it's a good thing. And so that's the view from my balcony. Similar to the view of David. You see, as we read the psalm, it says this. 
Song of Ascent of David. How good and how pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. It is like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. It is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on the Mount of Zion. For there the Lord bestows, the old translation says, commands his blessing, even life. Evermore. And so this is a song that David is singing as the people are walking down below and as he sees. And I wonder whether he grabbed his guitar or a similar instrument and he started to sing the song. And of course, in the 70s and 80s, the song was also put to music. And um, it was a beautiful psalm that people sang as the people of Israel sang it too. So they went up the mountain to go and worship together. And so there is something beautiful about unity. You know, when we have it, we don't always recognize it for what it is. But the moment we don't have it, it is right in our faces. Amen. And so David, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, as he writes the psalm, he says how good and how pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. You see, he knows what division means and the effects that it has because when you look at David's history, you'll find out that in his own family, there was such division at times. Within his own kingdom, there was such division. Even within the kingdom of Israel, it was the kingdom of Israel and the kingdom of Judah. Why? Not because they just decided lovingly. There was disunity. And then David now sees and he, and he loves the unity that is within Israel at this time. Now, when you read a little bit further, you will see that they lost it because of the evilness of man's heart and because of the selfish nature of you and I wanting what we want. The very thing that destroys unity. And so David looks at all of this and he's in the midst of unity and he says, man, how good and how pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. And I can say this about our church. There is a wonderful blessing that we're experiencing because of you. The unity of this church. And this is what the last verse says. For there the Lord commands his blessing when there's unity. So the first verse and the last verse, we've got to read it together. When there's unity, it is pleasant and it's good. And why is it pleasant and good? Because God dwells in power with his presence where there is unity. And when we see the things that God is doing within the lives of people, it is as a result of you banding together, standing together, not necessarily agreeing on everything together, but we're banding and we're standing together and God's blessing comes and he breaks through within our lives to do something wonderful within our midst. I remember as a young boy, I was about, oh, 
in my early teens and I heard a quote and I just found this quote again uh, this week from a guy called John Phillips. And he said, to dwell above with saints we love, that will be glorious. To dwell below with saints we know, well, that's another story. And um, oftentimes it is so, but this is where we live. And there are moments of amazing unity where we experience the sheer blessing of God. And Lift Church, I want to encourage each and every one of us, as Paul says, to both the church at Ephesus, to the church in Corinth, and also to the church at, in, 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 in Colossae. He says to them, let's endeavor. That means let's make sure, do everything within our power to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Why? Because out of that, the blessing of God flows and amazing things happen. Acts chapter four, verse 32 says this. All the believers were one in heart and mind. <laughs> Don't you love that? You say, well, what is unity? Well, they were one in, help me, in heart and in mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. Listen to this. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy people amongst them. Do you see the result and the outflowing of unity? With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the risen Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work among them that there were no needy people amongst them. Unity does what no individual can do. There is a powerful outflow when people live and gather together in unity. It furthers the gospel it declares the greatness of the name of our God and things happen through unity that won't happen in any other way. And that's why I cherish the congregation, the gathering, but also the living all through the week of God's people. Ephesians chapter four says, verses one to six, are therefore prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness, that means humility, and with gentleness, long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body, 
and one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all, who is above all, through all, and in all. So you have Psalm 133. You have Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 to 6. For us as New Testament believers, and that is where we pitch our tent in the days that we're living in. What is unity? It was not a unity of dress. Aren't you thankful that not everyone within Lift Church dresses the way that I dress? I wish you did. Unity is not about dress. It was not about unity of dialect. It was not a unity of nations. It was not of the human kinds of unity. It was the unity of the heart, of the mind, and of the will of the people who had a common purpose to worship Jesus. There's different words we use for unity. We use the word union, which has an affiliation with others, but not a common bond that makes them one in heart. Uniformity has everyone looking and thinking alike. I remember when I was in Bible college, I was in a particular Bible college, and all of us dressed in a similar way. And then just about two or three kilometers away, there was another university. It was called Bob Jones University. And um, there was great competition between the two of us. And that university, Bob Jones, you could recognize a Bob Jones student anywhere you go because they had a side path that flowed this way. Our university had a middle path that flowed that way. And if I had hair, it would still be that way. (laughs) It's not about uniformity. It's not even about unanimity, which is complete agreement across the board. Jenny and I disagree on many things, but we're united. Ken and I disagree on many things. Well, should I say Ken disagrees and I agree? No, no, we disagree on many things. And yet, we're united. We're brothers. He supports Liverpool, I support Man United. Who of you watched the Man United game? Oh, there's a couple of Man United supporters here. I love you. Well done. You know, you get a free cappuccino today. (laughs) It's not about unanimity. Unity, however, refers to oneness of heart, similarity in purpose, and agreement on the major points of doctrine. Agreement in mind and agreement in heart. That's why the psalmist can say unity is good and pleasing. The word translated good in this verse is a word that means excellent, agreeable, and beneficial. In other words, this is something that is good in God's sight. 
He has put his stamp of approval on it. The word pleasant is a word that means beautiful, sweet, or lovely. God loves beautiful things. Things that just is sweet, God loves it, the aroma. Sweet selling savior offerings that was presented unto God. So this word pleasant means beautiful, sweet, and lovely. In other words, it is not only good in God's sight, but it's also good for us. That's what unity does. It's good in God's sight, but it also works for us. My friends, when we look at verse two, unity is a sweet smell to God, as I've just mentioned. Verse two says, it is like precious oil poured on the head. Running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. Psalm 133, verse two. Aaron was the first high priest of Israel. David came after him, but within David's time, he saw how high priests, kings and other successors were anointed into office. And you see, the new high priest, the successors of Aaron, were clothed with magnificent robes, with a special breastplate, with jewelry in its stones and with headrests. When going back to the book of Exodus, one finds out a little bit more about the oil because it was very, very special. And so we see that when they were anointed into office, oil was poured out over the high priest, and the psalmist says it is like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe, and as it ran from the head, from the collar, my friends, this oil also ran over the breastplate with the 12 stones engraved within it, and it represented the 12 tribes of Israel that were at war against each other from time to time in history. And that oil ran over the breastplate, which symbolized that God's pleasure was for these 12 tribes to walk together in unity. And I love it, you know, when they poured the oil over the head of the high priest, it was a generous portion of oil. My friends, whatever you do, do it generously. I know you, you hear me saying it often. If you bless your children, do it generously. If you bless your wife, do it generously. God does it. It's part of God's heart. And so a generous portion of oil flowed over Aaron. It's very, very interesting. I found out that they used to take five quarts of olive oil, which is comparatively 
tasteless and without scent. They used to add no less than 450 ounces of solids, like spices, myrrh, cinnamon, sweet cane, and a number of other things, and also special perfumes to blend it all together. They would take the special perfumed oil and they would pour it onto Aaron's head and the smell of it was beautiful. It was rich, it was sweet. And it covered the head and it dripped down his face off of his bed onto the collar, onto the breastplate, and the 12 stones symbolizing the 12 tribes of Israel. My friends, it was all together and it was a beautiful fragrance. Why did they anoint him with oil? So that he might be a sweet aroma to God. It symbolizes the Holy Spirit who would empower the priest, the high priest, to do a special work. When people dwell together in unity, the psalmist says, it is like that oil that ran down Aaron's beard and it is a sweet savor smell unto God. When the leadership stand together in unity, when we talk about decisions, when we disagree and we come to an agreement, it is a sweet smell unto God and God just loves it. It's an act of worship to God, unity. It's something that God just treasures, no wonder he commands his blessing in that place. Sorry, I'm stepping too far away from you guys there at home. God treasures that. My friends, lift over the next months. Let's make sure that we step into that place of unity because God just loves the fragrant smell that comes from this church. Let's not take it for granted. Let's offer this as a sacrifice of worship. I'm gonna... Just move on quickly. So we see that unity is a sweet smell to God. Unity is also life-giving. When we dwell together in unity, life is given to others. Not only to us, but to others. He says there is something wonderful about the early morning dew. I can remember us growing up in a place called Springs in South Africa, and Ken would remember it because he grew up there. As a matter of fact, a number of people in our congregation. And that's why we're such exceptional men that our wives loved. They went to Springs, they heard that we grew up there, and they chose us. And um, amazingly, in the mornings, if you remember, in the, oh, you, know, you could see the dew on the grass. It was so real. You know, and there's something wonderful about the morning dew. We don't value dew in this country because we don't use it much. We have plenty of water, plenty of rain. If we lived in Israel, we would value dew. For many, it was the difference between life and death. Dew was a source of life. Dew makes a barren, hard, dry ground green, soft, fruitful, and fertile. As David looked at the harmony amongst the people of God, he observed, first the oil that made them a sweet smell to God enabled them to worship God, and secondly, it is like the dew that makes them fruitful and fertile instead of hard and cold 
and rocky. Where there is no dew, the ground becomes hard. There's not fruitfulness. There's very little life. I want people when they come into Lift Church, when we gather together on Sundays, our small groups, prayer meetings, ladies' meetings, young mothers' meetings, coffee and tea and cake together. And we, oh, when people leave here, my hope and my prayer is that they would say, oh, I've discovered life here. Why? Because the dew from heaven drops upon this people. Because why? There is unity. You won't find the dew of heaven where there's demission. Church, and I'm talking a lot about church, but it's exactly the same with it at marriage. For Jenny and I, we need the dew from heaven to drop upon our marriage because then she's a whole lot easier to live with. <laughs> you know the truth, I know that. <laughs> My friends, I bow my knee before God. And I pray and I say, Lord, if I'm not careful, my heart will grow hard. If I'm not careful, the sin that crouches at my door can come in. If I'm not careful, I can get discouraged. Oh God, let the dew of heaven fall upon my heart. It is, it is so easy when you get discouraged for your heart to get hard. It is so easy when people let you down for your heart to get hard. It is so easy when people hurt you and people use you for your heart to get hard. And I say, Lord, let the dew of heaven just rain down upon my heart. I was so cross when I read the regulations coming in because it seeks to destroy what we're building. And I just had to for a day or two to sit before God and let the dew of heaven fall on my heart. Otherwise, it was getting hard. How many of you know that I cannot lead you into pastures that are green when my heart is hard? Amen? Men, when you lead your homes, and I believe men have a responsibility to lead their homes into the green pastures that God has. I don't only believe it, the Bible says it. Men, you're the spiritual head over your home. Allow the dew from heaven to fall on your heart and lead your wife and your family into the greenness of what God has prepared. Men, have a backbone. <laughs> Take up your responsibility. Lead your family into green pastures. Because God has an anointing that he places. You see, he doesn't give men a responsibility to lead their families if he doesn't enable them. Amen? That's a pretty poor and weak amen. I think it was mostly the women who said amen there. <laughs> I know, I lead a gifted and enabled lady here. Two boys. The most wonderful thing, my son wrote an exam this past week and I just sent him a message and I just said to him, son, I'm praying for you. He says, thank you, dad, but it's not necessary on this one. <laughs> I hope he passes it. 
But you see, that's how we take spiritual leadership within our home. I, I think men want to, but oftentimes we don't know how to. I told you that you weren't gonna like me a whole lot over the next few weeks. But that's what David here speaks about, the dew from heaven falling upon the people because he had to take responsibility for these things. Husband and wives together. Ask God for the dew drops of heaven so that you can lead your family into green pastures. It's the thing that Jen and I pray often for our children about. Ryan's 25, 20, he's turning 26 in October. Chris is turning 24 in December. But I want you to know just when God's blessing is within our home. Chris came back this, this, he was with us for about two to three weeks and we just love having him. And um, we do our best as parents, but we do poorly. Even our best attempts are poor. And that's why we pray. I know I've got to pray to lead Jen. I know I've got to pray to lead my family. I know I've got to really pray to lead the eldership team and for us to lead this. I know I do for those precious dewdrops from heaven. But it's just wonderful because we struggle with our children, don't we? Through certain periods of their upbringing and they're difficult to lead. More difficult than when we were children. Isn't that true? And we try and lead them. And we fall, we make mistakes, we mess up. God help us. But we fall on our knees. And the times that I've had to say to Ryan and Chris, but more to Chris, because Chris has been with us the last few years when we moved here. And, and I had to walk into his bedroom when I've messed up. And I'd have to say to him, and I remember the last time I said it to him was a couple of years ago, I just said to him, Chris, I'm so sorry, I overreacted. I shouldn't have said what I did. And this boy just sat at the edge of his bed and he says, Dad, I know. He says, but you needed to say it. But I said, I didn't need to say it in the way that I did. He says, I know, Dad, but that's okay. I know you love me. Boy, he has some maturity there. And so at night, he's 23. And while he was with us, he doesn't even live here. He studies in Boston last year of chiropractics. And, and so at about half past 11, quarter to 12, when he's out with his mates, yeah, I get a what's up? Dad, I'll be home at one o'clock. And if I'm later, I will let you know. Then when he arrives at about half past one, 23 years old, he'll open her bedroom door and he'll say, Dad, Dad, I'm home. And you know what? My heart rejoices. Jenny's fast asleep. But my heart rejoices because I think it is an outflow of something of the drops of dew from heaven that flows from the unity that Jenny and I walk in and it flows over my son's life. 
My friends, do you understand how important unity is today? If you do, we can talk for another hour. But do you understand how important it is? Whatever you do, try and find unity. Now, I'm going to close, but I just want to make it practical, and I'm not going to go that much further. How do we maintain unity in the home, church, and also within our friendships, my friends? How do we do it? Firstly, hold firmly. Listen, unity is not weakness. How do we maintain unity in the home, church, and in our friendships? Hold firmly to the truth of the gospel, the word of God. Hold firmly to it. The objective measure by which we live our lives, the word of God. And hold loosely to the opinions you may have started to treasure, which is so subjective in nature. Opinion is like a nose. Everybody has one. And sometimes it's a stench. (laughs) In this church, I've had to bury many of my opinions. And every now and then when it starts to come to life, I've got to step on it. Not a bad thing to do it during the corona epidemic. Many of you have opinions, even I keep them buried. In this church, keep them buried. That's the part where we stand strong and firm. Keep them buried. Hold firmly to the truths of the gospel, the word of God. Can I have an amen on that one? Or maybe a oh me, you can also. Oh my. We strive towards unity. Focus on this aspect. Secondly, be quick to overlook an offense. Proverbs chapter 19 verse 11 says, A person's wisdom yields patience. It is to one's glory to overlook an offense. Jenny and I had a little bit of a squabble this week. I had the squabble. And you know, my friends, it is most amazing that there are times we just need to overlook an offense. And the dew of heaven drops. Amen? Do you have any squabbles with your spouse? Of course, not in this church, only in other churches. But it takes a little bit of maturity and a whole lot of love to overlook an offense. The Bible says it is to one's glory, it's to one's benefit. Try it, it does work. And then lastly, to hold firm to unity. Let's treat one another with love. Love is real, it's not fake. Love causes us to forgive one another. Love causes us to rebuild. Love causes us to put our hands on one another's shoulders even though we disagree. And we move forward. And there, 
the presence of God dwells. And he says, it is good and it is pleasant. Would you stand please?